Welcome to the eForce Wizard Podcast, another episode, and I have Jim and Kathy here. They are two paleontologists um, from the D.C. area, so if you guys can give me a little bit of background about yourself, we'll get started. She's pointing to me. Uh, <laughs> I'm Jim Clark, Dr. James Clark from uh, George Washington University. Um, I study uh, mainly fossil archosaurs, um, especially fossil crocodilians. I've worked on theropod dinosaurs when uh, I, I worked with the American Museum of Natural History in uh, Mongolia for about 10 years. And uh, we collected a lot of theropod dinosaurs and uh, Mark Morell and I and Pete Makovicki uh, developed a, a kind of what at that time was the state-of-the-art approach to the origin of birds and the, the big data set. Um, Kathy? So I'm Kathy Forster. I'm also at George Washington University. So I'm a professor and I teach geology and I teach paleontology. So on, on Monday, actually, this next week, I'll start teaching paleontology. But um, I work on dinosaurs mainly, work on the, uh, the herbivorous dinosaurs, the ornithischian dinosaurs. Although I've worked a little bit on bird origins as well, so we have a little bit of an overlap there. Um, done a lot of field work in um, Madagascar and South Africa, a little bit in China, and uh, here and there. So Jim and I have worked together in China um, in and more recent years, and Mongolia, Mongolia one year, yeah. Wow. Yeah, so so basically, in layman terms, for all the village idiots, it's crocodiles and birds and herbivores. So you have like your ceratops and stuff like that, not the, yeah. not the meat eaters, not, the, not these guys. Yeah. I usually work on the meat eaters. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But, you know, with paleontology, since we both do a lot of field work, so we go out in the field and we actually dig things up, you never know what you're going to find. So right. sometimes, um, you know, you work on what you find. So there's a lot of serendipity in this as well. Sure. So I tend to specialize in the ornithischian dinosaurs. Jim tends to specialize in the crocodilians and the, the theropod or the meat-eating dinosaurs. But you work on what you find. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever like been out there and found something that you were like, wait, this isn't like, I don't even recognize Not Not that you wouldn't recognize it, but it's not like in your kind of wheelhouse type thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. All the time. I, really? I did a, um, yeah. so I found this site in Mexico years ago when I was a grad student, <clears throat> I just on a lark went down to uh, Mexico and got permission and um, found this great site in the Sierra Madre Oriental. Wow. Uh, and um, so we found a lot of small things, and one of them was just this never-before-discovered group of, of reptiles. It was a burrowing animal. We had several skulls of this thing, so you could tell from the skull that they were burrowing with their head, and it was just, you know, a totally new group of animals. And wow. so, you know, it was fun to study that and try and figure out. It was kind of distantly related to lizards and, and things like that. Really? So how, do you, how does one... First of all, how, like you said, you just, you know, on a whim, go to Mexico. How do you get permission? Or is it kind of like, you know, ask for forgiveness? Or no, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than it is for permission type situation? Yeah. Well, <laughs> so, you know, as paleontologists, we're very sensitized to the fact that you just don't go to another country and grab fossils and leave. True. So, you know, always we, you know, we, we make sure we get permission because if you don't get permission... You know, if you publish on yeah. it, then you're just in deep duty. Yeah, especially if you find something amazing. Yeah, I mean, can't do nothing with it. Yeah, you don't so, want to jeopardize that. So right? I was I was a grad student, University of Chicago, and um, I'd been working in northern Arizona, in um, 
in early Jurassic sediments there, in uh, basically on the Navajo Reservation. Wow. And I've done a lot of research on where where were the other early Jurassic sediments in North America at the time. And there was this little thing on the geological maps that just said, you know, late Triassic or early Jurassic terrestrial rocks. And no one had ever found anything there before. And I said, well, let's take a look. So yeah. being a grad student, I just said, yeah, let me go down and do that. <laughs> and so I drove, I had my, my first, the first car I ever had was a 1967 Toyota Land Cruiser. Oh my God. So I, so I drove, this was in the, so this would have been 83, 82 or 83 when I drove down. And so I just drove down, you know, camp out at night and, you know, on the side of the road, wherever. Wow. And uh, actually, I went to a meeting in Mexico City, met up with a paleontologist and who I'd written to. And I said, I, you know, I want to do this. Can I get permission? He gave me a letter. And he, he didn't take me too seriously, I think. <laughs> and then I drove up uh, actually with a friend, uh, Rich Cefali, who was at that meeting. We drove up. And we went to a bunch of places in the, the mountains, the Sierra Madre Oriental. And... Um, it didn't look very good at all. And then we came to this canyon that actually had really nice rock exposures. And after the first day or so, well, the, very, the, the end of the first day, I found what I thought were fossil bones. And then the next day, I found what I was sure were fossil bones. Yeah. And so that was very exciting. So how, like when you're digging for things, because I obviously like my knowledge of this is Jurassic Park. That's it. That's all I got. That's all I got for you. So like, you know, you see like the big bones and you see like the tents and like all the yeah. stuff. Is that actually how it goes down? Kind of. <laughs> it can be. Camps really differ depending upon where you are and yeah. how many people are there. But it usually in involves tents, yes. Yeah. <laughs> what What is definitely not true is the beginning of the first Jurassic Park, they have this right. whole thing about the... You know, using sonic waves to yeah, visualize the, what's underground, and that's like almost never done. Really? And, oh yeah. no! I mean, first of all, it's expensive, and second of all, it um, doesn't work unless you know there are bones under. Yeah, yeah, money. exactly. And so, yeah. Uh, yeah, that was unrealistic. But it was interesting. I looked into that once, um, and the technology, at least at the time I was looking into it, was driven by uh, people looking for landmines. And oh wow. That's kind of where, uh, yeah. um, you know, that kind of underground imaging, because, yeah, it's really hard to do. Yeah, no, I can I imagine. It's used more in like archaeology where you have a site, right? Uh, so you have a limited area where you're looking. In paleontology, you tend to be just walking for miles and yeah. miles and miles looking for bones that are weathering out. And, wow. you know, sometimes over really rough terrain. And so that kind of thing just doesn't work. Yeah. It just doesn't. It's just not working. So it's a lot of guesswork, almost. Um, you basically you just find the right <laughs> kinds of rocks, and then usually these things are very rare. So you don't, yeah. you know, it, it, you just have to walk until you find some. And so you have to get good at recognizing what does a bone look like when it's weathering out a rock. It right. Look like a nice, you know discrete bone it looks yeah. like a bunch of little bone fragments and you got to recognize you know what's bone versus what's rock and uh, yeah. it's really yeah. fun it's really a, it's yeah. a great experience and that's that's the first part of of working in the field and and excavating dinosaurs you have to find them first or any fossil really you got to find them so in some rock formations it's pretty easy there, there's a lot of fossils in other formations you can walk for days before you find something 
So it just takes a lot of walking and looking and having that search image, you know, sure. that search image. So you know what you're looking for. You know what the bone looks like because bone will be different colors, for example, in different formations. Definitely. So you have to have that search image and uh, that can take a little while to, to get. Some people are really good at it, like, like him. <laughs> um, he's really he's good, good at finding stuff in the field. Yeah. But I was going to say what's really important is, I mean, each kind of rock will be different, too. So the, mm -hmm. the rock in Mexico, one reason no one had ever found anything there was it was really hard rock. So it didn't even erode as, you know, dusty soil or anything. Oh, wow. it was just bare red rock. And there were all these little green things in it that were not fossils. And then occasionally one of these little green things was a, a fossil. And so you'd have to be able to recognize you know sort of cross sections of little bones and yeah. sure. you know it's just um so you have to eliminate a lot of other things that definitely are not fossils and then some people would probably give up and just be like oh well it's not here you got to yeah. keep digging yeah, yeah a lot of, persistence is really important i was gonna say yeah. Yeah. a lot of things also you know you're outside and so there's everything that's living outside is dying and lying on the ground too so that's true bones of you know, cows and things like that. Yeah. Like, oh my God. Insects and a T Rex. Snakes. Yeah. Snakes. Yeah. So that could be confusing. Um, I was going to say, yeah, do you did, um, um, I was going to ask the, the, I always find it fascinating when I see, I'm terrified of alligators or crocodiles and stuff like that. <laughs> but when you look at them, I mean, even now they literally look like dinosaurs. Like if there was a, like, you know, I don't know what dinosaurs look like, obviously in real life, but yeah. they, they're just scaly. They just look like old. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. they look like, they look prehistoric. Well, they look more like dinosaurs than anything else living around. Living yes. Around. Okay. Yeah. But that's what I mean. Actually, except for chickens. But <laughs> what's really interesting about crocodilians is they're not these relics of the age of dinosaurs because they ancestrally, kind of, if you go back into the Triassic, basically, um, they were these big land animals that were actually a lot more dinosaur-like. And then they secondarily, they evolved um, this semi-aquatic existence they have. Really? They, they have all these you know, adaptations to living in water. There's all kinds of things closing their openings on their skulls. You know, they got muscles closing their noses, muscles closing their ears. Um, yeah, anyways, they're, they're highly adapted to, to the water, which wow. is all... You know, something that crocodilians evolved after they split off from kind of where uh, the the origin of dinosaurs, basically. So were they standing up at one point? Yes. Well, not on two legs, you mean? Yeah. Uh, no. Um, there may have been, you know, some things. Um, yeah, there may have been one or two that actually did. But wow. um, mainly they were kind of these big four-legged things that would... Um, they had their legs underneath their body. So living crocodilians are basically kind of paddling. Yeah, they're like literally like. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and if on the land, they're kind of, you know, spreading their arms up. But um, the these old Triassic things, they had their legs were under the body. They they were runners. They were real fast runners, as far as we could tell. I mean, wow. It's hard to measure the running speed of these of things. But um, still, they were, they were much more like, like dinosaurs. Yeah, really long-legged, really interesting. Yeah. Not what you see today. No. And no. if you saw one, you probably wouldn't even realize it was a crocodilian. Wow. They're so different. That's so cool. I would have never thought. I literally thought that like, oh, well, they just, that's what they looked like 65 yeah. million years ago. No. Wow. Well, 65 million, yeah, but not 
200 million years ago. Oh, 200 million? <laughs> yeah. Two, 250. What period is that? Triassic. Triassic. So, That's before Jurassic. Yes. Yeah, before the Jurassic. So, uh, yeah, a lot happened in the Triassic that kind of set up everything that went on after that. Really? The I, I feel like people, most people, they only know 65 million years ago. They, yeah. No one ever is like 200 million. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's not like a talked about. Right. Is it because the dinosaurs weren't as sexy? No, it's. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like the, you know. <laughs> no, a lot of it is because we have a really good fossil record from about 65 to 75 uh, million years ago. Really good. Yeah. And as you go back, the fossil record just isn't that good. So we wow. know a lot more, you know, Triceratops, T Rex. We know a lot of things from right at, at that time. That makes of, sense. Yeah, at the end of dinosaurs. Right? But I think a lot of things you mm. might think are that age are, are not also. So like uh, big Allosaurus, big, most of the big sauropods are from the late Jurassic. Um, mm. We actually have great Jurassic dinosaurs in the Rocky Mountains. Really? Especially lots of big, these big sauropods, you know, what's called Brontosaurus, which is now a legitimate name hadn't been That's legitimate right. for a while right back to brontosaurus um yeah things like that that's so, interesting so in the triassic when you get the first dinosaurs there's a lot of other stuff around too yeah. so early crocodilians the earliest mammals right they're around in the late triassic so there's all this evolution going on in the late triassic lots of stuff and then a lot of it goes extinct at the very end of the triassic and Dinosaurs make it through, and the crocodilians make it through, and a few uh, other groups. There's kind of a filter at the end of the Triassic there. And then there's this big explosion of, of dinosaur evolution in yeah. the Jurassic. And that makes what, sense. That's what really drives the yeah. research, too, is, I mean, we're not just like, oh, I want a new dinosaur. You know, that's not yeah. kind of what a scientist does. I mean, we're interested in how did these things, how did the faunas change, how did the each of the living groups of 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 animals, how did they originate? How did, yeah. how did they evolve? And so the Triassic, yeah. you, you just trace all these things back. Lizards, turtles, crocodilians, birds, yeah. you know, they all end up back in the Triassic. And wow. Then, you know, and then during the age of dinosaurs, they each kind of did their thing for yeah. a while. Then dinosaurs, um, except for birds, went extinct. And then we get another kind of radiation of the modern yeah. things. And that kind of drives uh, research, too. So that's one yeah. of the reasons that, that Jim wanted to start the work in Western China that we've been doing is because the rocks there were of a particular age, kind of earlier in the Jurassic, and we didn't know much about the animals at that time. So you know a lot about what's happening in the end of the Jurassic, yeah. but not much about what's happening before then. So sometimes um, that drives where you want to go and what you want to look for is uh, the particular time period where you don't know much, right? Let, yeah. Let's try to fill in the gap. Yeah, fill in the gaps, exactly. Yeah. Now, do you think that like, because I, I don't know how many dinosaurs there were. Let's just say, let's just keep it at 65 million years, right? Because that's when we know the most, I guess. Um, I'm thinking, is it like they run around like like millions of them, or is it like there's like four Triceratops, there's like ten T Rexes? You know what I mean? Is there like a limited amount of them, or is it like how animals are today, where they're just everywhere? Uh, I'm sure they were everywhere. We don't have records of them everywhere because uh. we don't necessarily have rocks of, of that age preserved everywhere or exposed everywhere. But I'm sure they were everywhere at, by the end of the Cretaceous yeah. or before then. Well, there are fossils in Antarctica. There are fossils everywhere. Yeah. You on, look at. On the north slope of Alaska. The north I mean, slope of Alaska. Wow. Everywhere. 
everywhere where you find rocks of that age, there are dinosaurs. We don't know, you know, they were everywhere. They're diverse. You know, how many were in one spot at one time is sure. harder to tell. There, yeah. there are some deposits where you get kind of... Uh, um, there's been some flood and it's killed everything in one event and you can say oh well there were at least a hundred you know centrosaurs here yeah. at this time but it, sure. it's a hard thing to get to, to to get at is you know exactly how big was our were there even herds of these things right. how big was a, a herd yeah of how big things? was the population how big it's, was the population it's really hard to get at it's really hard to understand that yeah no i can imagine like that's why i asked because last night when i was watching Jurassic park sam yeah. goes <laughs> they they go they are in herds they do they do yeah. migrate in herds it's like how do you like <laughs> yeah, migration's another yeah tricky thing yeah, yeah. that's tricky because I, I know that um like utah colorado montana are like big spots for like big dinosaurs that i've you know what I mean? like, dinosaur 13 the documentary obviously you know about that like the the t-rex that they found in montana right, right. like how like, if you find one T-Rex in Montana, did everybody go crazy trying to find other ones, I guess? Well, there's quite a few that are known. You know, it's not yeah. like they're incredibly rare. There's really? A fair amount. Like, Triceratops, well, there's, you know, dozens and dozens, maybe hundreds of uh, not complete skeletons, sure. but, you know, pieces. So yeah. they're not uncommon in that particular formation at that particular time. Wow. But t yeah. but T Rex, you know, it's just the iconic dinosaur, and you want to, you know, you definitely want to find it. People know it, and uh, you know, can visualize it, and just are fascinated with it. Yeah. So they were first found. The first ones were found, you know, just after just the beginning of the twentieth century, and then mm -hmm. there just wasn't that much activity. There's been a lot of fossil collecting in the last twenty thirty years, um, a lot more than there had been you know, earlier in the last century. And so, and T-Rex is something people really want. If you find a T-Rex, you dig it up, you know. If yeah. You find, if you find a crappy Triceratops, you may not dig it up. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's just... I'd it's, dig it up. Yeah, I'd say somebody would dig it up. A T-Rex is just... And also, you know, unfortunately, if you find it on private land, too, I mean, you can sell it to whoever. Wow. So, you know, it's because I that documentary, I didn't watch it, but like the government came in and like, oh, yeah. this is native land. This is ours now. I was yeah. Like, yeah, that's yeah. the one that just. That's, that's a long, complicated story. Long, complicated yeah. story. That's, <laughs> yeah. That, that was but crazy. But that reset the whole, yeah. you know, that basically was a huge advertisement for, hey, you can make money. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, that's what I, I got from the trailer. Well, that, that also but, gets back to what we were talking about before with field work is, you know, you have to make sure you have per, the right permits and right. right permission wherever you dig. Sure. So um, if it's on public land, you need the correct permits. If you're in another country, you have to make sure you have everything in line. You know, you have all your permits in line, and it's best to work with people in the country. As yeah, well, that know. Paleontologists in the country. Yeah. Yeah, each country is different, but also we're, um, you know, a situation. We're at a university that doesn't have collections, and so that would be different if I was a curator at a museum and I needed to add to the collections, right. and so I don't need to. So I don't care where yeah. the fossils end up. You know, in fact, I'm I'm fine with them staying. I'm happy with them staying in the countries that that we work in. Yeah, um, and that's that works fine for me. We get to study them. Don't have to worry about 
you know, curating specimens and the like. But uh, museums, yeah. there's a bit of pressure on curators to, you know, actually collect things that stay in their own collections. Sure. I mean, yeah, that's that's like part two of going out and digging up any kind of fossil is then what happens to it. Right? Yeah. You want to make sure it's in a it's in a legitimate collection where it'll be cared for. Sure. Right. In perpetuity and that other researchers can come and look at it or it can be put on display for the public. So, you know, not only do you have to plan where you want to go and make sure you have the permits and all the equipment and the people and everything you need to do the excavation, but then you have to have a place to put those fossils once you're once you're finished with them. Like a museum. A museum would be like an ideal situation. Yes. Yeah, a museum. Yeah. And museums cost money and museums are, you know, they're they don't do well during economic downturns no. and you know, sometimes they have to give up their collections and there's all this um, Really? Yeah, it's very sad. We we like museums a lot, and we <laughs> we like people to support museums. Yeah, yeah museums are awesome. A lot of time in museums. No, I bet you did. Yeah, well, didn't you work at the National Museum of History and American too? He, he well, so a, I had yeah. yeah, I had uh, postdoctoral fellowships at uh, both the Smithsonian National yeah. National Museum and then uh, the American Museum. I was there for three years back when. We went back to Mongolia. So I, almost, in fact, yeah. I almost got a job there as the dinosaur curator, but my friend uh, Mark beat me out. <laughs> and I worked at the Field Museum in Chicago for right. two or three wonderful years. Yeah, it was fabulous. Yeah, museums are especially living in D.C. You got the, the Smithsonian. You got like a lot of really cool stuff. And like I know they had, they were working on it like probably two or three years ago when I went the new dinosaur exhibit at one of the. Yeah. Did yeah. they finish it? And like, is are those like actual fossils, or are those like fake? Well, it's a mix because it's hard to mount a, a real, you know, the real bones in a dynamic pose. Sure. Um, and so they generally, if you know, you have a rearing dinosaur or something, that's usually cast. So it's it's fake in that it's it's a cast of a real thing, but it's uh, a cast. Yeah, it's a um, copy. But you know, there's pressure on them to show the real things. I mean, that's why you come to a museum, right? And so, uh, but they did a great job. Our friend Matt Carano, who's the, the curator in charge of that, he, yeah. you know, he did a, a, a great job. Yeah, with yeah I went it's, when they were, beautiful. it's awesome. When I went, it was like under construction. And even like during under construction, yeah. they made it like this thing. It was really, yeah. really cool. Yeah. yeah, that was really fun. What, the thing I liked is architecturally, they opened that hall back up. So now they open yeah. the windows up oh, and you cool. can see some of the original architecture now, which is really I, I find that really stunning. Yeah, I like. I didn't even know that 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 area was back there of in the yeah. museum. It yeah, just like popped been up, all covered up, right? Yeah, For years. That's yeah. much. It's a much more uh, attractive exhibit than it was. Before. Yeah, yeah. No, was, it looks awesome. So I was at the American Museum in New York when they were renovating their dinosaur halls. Oh wow, that was just amazing to uh, to watch. I mean, that's a whole floor of that giant museum. Yeah, and the problem yeah. they ran into they they opened up their old thing old uh, the old uh, uh, sides of the, the exhibits um, but they ran into the issue that so it had been renovated in the 1930s where they covered up all this older wow. architecture and they had to get permission because that the 1930s renovation was actually now historic you know <laughs> oh so my god destroy the historic 1930 renovation <laughs> to get back to the you know 19 a renovation that's historic yeah, yeah, so well, that's weird. It's like it was ugly too. <laughs> yeah, that was to say in 1930s, like, eh, oh, yeah. let's appreciate the the actual museum. The ugliness. Yeah, yeah the ugliness exactly. <laughs> Do you guys um, 
like okay for i know like after jurassic park came out there was probably a big boom of people wanting to go find dinosaurs before that why did you guys get in like how did you find yourself being like you know what i want to go do this how did that happen well i was one of those little kids who i think i was four and i got a set of toy dinosaurs for christmas and i still have them and i you know i was a little kid who wanted to study dinosaurs when i grew up and then i grew up and i i never lost it usually you know kids they get to be about you know eight or nine and they start having other you know they they kind of forget about the dinosaurs but i never did so and, and that like led you all the way. And yeah. paleontology. She, and I she just continued a, with it. She's got a picture of herself with a tiny little uh, toy triceratops. And my dinosaur books. And my dinosaur yeah. books. And I was, I wow. was very fortunate. When I was in high school uh, in Los Angeles, I was in Long Beach, California, and um, the Los Angeles Museum had a program where you could take classes from curators on the weekend. Oh, cool. And so on Saturdays, um, we'd go and take classes. And then we got to, it, it turned out you could hang out in the, the paleontology lab and help out. And so, you know, who wouldn't want to do that? Yeah, right. so yeah. <laughs> take a class then in the afternoon. Um, and so some friends and I uh, who were doing that, we just said, oh, you know, why don't we go out and find our own fossils? So. Uh, so the three of us would go out in the Mojave Desert or wherever, and we'd just ask oh, the cool. creators, like, where can we find fossils? And uh, this is back in the 70s. And, um, and they'd say, oh, go out here. Go to Barstow. And so we would. And so, uh, yeah, the, the other friends, one of them was Mark, Mark Norell. So he's now the curator of dinosaurs at the, the American Museum of New York. Wow. And the other guy uh, became disillusioned eventually. and he, <laughs> But he was in charge of, like, uh, um, field exploration for exxon mobile uh so he got his geology degrees and wow he did okay yeah yeah <laughs> so i mean that gets back to the importance of um, museums right the importance yeah. of their programs and and uh, i mean that was really instrumental in you well to be i always think that. of it and i think this is true of a lot of you know kids growing up and yeah. and it's basically you see somebody who has a job doing something like yeah. that it's like Wow, you can get paid. Yeah, you get money for that. Get paid to do that, yeah. and it's like, oh, okay. Well, there's a career direction I'll consider. Yeah. Uh, exactly. I can work in an office all the time, or yeah, maybe wait, I wait, can, wait. Uh, yeah. go to exotic places and yeah, dig up dinosaurs. Yeah. I'll take that. Yeah, no, I'll take that all day. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. What's like your biggest? I know you said the the in in Mexico, but what was Kathy? What was like your your thing that you were like, holy shit, like. <laughs> Like I found this like amazing thing. Uh, probably my work in Madagascar. Um, and like the first year or two there, we found just incredible stuff. We were finding theropod and sauropod long neck dinosaur fossils. And, and I think we were talking about this before too, is, is I hadn't worked on theropods or sauropods before. There were no plant eating dinosaurs to be seen. And yeah. I didn't know what I was seeing, right? Really? I'd find these skull pieces of a sauropod dinosaur and they looked so bizarre, I didn't even know what they were. But that first year we were there, we found um, this wonderful fossil that turned out to be um, something that kind of walks the line between theropods and birds. And it's Rahunavis. So that I think was the most one of the most exciting finds that that I've ever been involved in. Wow! And that was before that was really you really cool. got into like the herbivore stuff. You were just finding them 
Oh, I was into the herbivores before then, but again, that's what we found, right? We didn't oh, find yeah, yeah. any herbivores, so you work with what you find. So I learned a lot about sauropod dinosaurs and a lot about birds and theropod dinosaurs that I hadn't known before, which is another great thing. You know, you work on the stuff you find that's different from what you've studied, sure. and you're constantly learning new stuff. You're yeah. constantly learning new things. So, What are you guys doing today? Like, are you guys still going out in the field and, like, digging and all that stuff? Oh, I wish. Yeah, uh, you know this. Well, I, you know, lately I've been working in China. Well, actually, not lately for the last. Wait, years. wait what? Uh, so, you know, in China. You not know, the, lately, though. Yeah, not like <laughs> lately place, yesterday. Not lately. So yeah. we're actually, you know, been working in kind of a semi-tropical part too, which is even worse. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, um, that didn't happen, and uh, yeah, we're just staying at home, um, but which has been great. I mean, I. I yeah. know it's it's hurt a lot of people, but you know we we get to hang with our kids and yeah we like working around the house, so we've been working on projects around the house yeah yeah and, and you're able to like teach too virtually yeah well we've been teaching virtually for like eight years we have a an online course we teach in the summer and so we've kind of gotten to gotten the hang of it oh wow yeah. Um, yeah. so yeah this wasn't any big deal to to switch yeah yeah. Are you guys seeing like a lot of your students, like you're about to teach paleontology on Monday, right? You said, yeah. so like, how are the, how does that go? Like, what do you teach them? Do you just have like conversations about like the Jurassic era? You know what I mean? Like, what, like, well, it's sort of like just teaching live in that we all get on sort of like a zoom call where sure. we're all together and I can share a PowerPoint presentation, right? So I can basically lecture online to them. They can come in with questions if they have. Um, so it's not all that different from um, from teaching live. It's I, I expect it might be a little harder to have discussions sure. online, but I can still present a lecture online without any problem. Yeah, that's awesome. And then so the I know you heard, you said earlier that like pretty much everything went kind of extinct except for birds. Yeah. Well. Yeah, when the dinosaurs went extinct, a lot of things went extinct, but obviously mammals didn't and turtles and lizards and the things that are alive today, yeah. somehow, you know, they made it through. Um, but, you know, there was, it was mainly the dinosaurs, other than birds, and then um, a bunch of marine reptiles, um, and then a few things, I mean, each group, so there were mammals that went extinct, there were lizards that went extinct, Um Oh, and pterosaurs, pterodactyls, and things like that. Oh, man. Yeah. I know. But, <laughs> but it was really cool. mainly, I mean, it's interesting, too, because it was clear, you know, you had all the theropods, all the, well, all the theropods with birds, all the sauropods, yeah. all the ornithitians go extinct. And then, you know, right after that, you get this these radiations of birds and mammals, especially placental mammals. I mean, they just kind of exploded, you know, over the course of a millions of years yeah. yeah um so it was clear you know the dinosaurs were kind of keeping these things down were were um because as soon as they 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 go extinct these other things really just um go hmm. wild yeah whatever makes it through one of these big extinctions has a lot of opportunity right sure a lot of opportunity for evolution so that's what happens after all these events you said chickens too. What I don't chickens, birds. So birds. Oh, okay, okay. Birds are a branch of theropod dinosaurs. So, 
that's one branch of dinosaurs that didn't go extinct. So dinosaurs are not extinct because we still have the birds. Yeah. And of course, they have this huge evolution, a lot of changes, right, from their kind of more dinosaur ancestors. True. Like birds are, are dinosaurs. Damn. Um, look at their legs. They still have dinosaur legs. Yeah. Um, That's crazy. I don't even yeah. think of it like that. I think of a chicken like, oh, yeah, I'm about to... Yeah. It's a barbecue. Yeah. yeah. So we keep chickens. We just like to have our little theropods in the backyard. <laughs> our only like we got dinosaurs. Like you set up like a nice little exhibit. <laughs> that give us eggs. So. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Do you, so do you think that it would be possible? Because I, I know there was like, I don't know when it was, but I read something about like the woolly mammoth. I know that's not like Jurassic era, but like they were trying to like get the DNA from this woolly mammoth that was still preserved and then recreate it. Yeah, that's very plausible because woolly really? mammoths were, were not much different from uh, basically the Indian elephants. Yeah. And so genetically, yeah, I mean, it's wow. plausible that they, they could do that. Um, yeah. But dinosaurs, whoa. I mean, first of all, there's no DNA known from that period dna doesn't last that long there there some inklings there might be some dna but you know you need more than a, a few a bits fragment of, yeah and yeah. so yeah it's just very 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 unlikely we'll ever yeah. resurrect a dinosaur well the last mammoths only went extinct like four five thousand years ago that's and it they have, they have frozen material so yeah. They, you know, they can extract good DNA from something that that's that's that recent and so closely related to something that's still alive, but we don't have that case for dinosaurs. No. Wow. So there's no mosquito that's covered with. No, I mean that whole the whole Jurassic Park thing. So it was you know preserved in amber. Yeah. And you know it turns out amber wasn't that great at preserving chemicals for I mean, people have tried like right around Jurassic Park there were reports of DNA out of amber of insect DNA out of amber, mm. and nobody's ever replicated it yeah. oh my god it's a really imagine? clever idea though right yeah yeah Brighton had a very clever idea there well, it wasn't not... his idea well okay he picked up, he picked up on <laughs> he, a good idea he wrote it yeah he wrote a good idea he wrote a good idea yeah, that's so exactly. funny I wish I had written that I know right oh my god <laughs> Steven Spielberg. Yeah, no. That's crazy. So so it's plausible for the the man is because I didn't even know four or five thousand. Obviously that's a long ass time ago, but compared to sixty five million. Two hundred million, it's it's Not, like a drop in the bucket. Yeah. Sixty five. Yeah. Well, wow. it's also basically, you know, any of these things that are preserved in in ice. Well, yeah. although actually it turns out ice is not necessarily the best way for preserving tissues, but it's not bad. It's better than, yeah. Uh, yes. Better than none at all. Better yeah. than none at all. But, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, you know, fossil humans. Right. You know, you could have your Neanderthals, possibly. Um, <laughs> that would be crazy. You know, I wouldn't touch that with a 10-foot pole. Yeah, no, that would be, that's, yeah, Neanderthals are no joke. The, the, oh, man, the, I'm just trying to think of, like, the 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 200 million years ago it, it still kills me because i like never even thought like you hear like what the big the the meteorite that took out the dinosaurs the big all these things like i i don't even i just want to talk a little bit more about that period because i think that's such an interesting thing because i did not know that and i don't know a lot already so <laughs> i mean i think it's it's so what you're saying is 200 million like all those dinosaurs and and living creatures kind of filtered out 
into the end of the dinosaurs at 65 million years. Dinosaurs lasted a long time. So they, yeah. you know, they originated, you know, 240, 250 million years ago and yeah. they went extinct at 65. So, you know, they were around a lot longer than humans have been. Um, yeah. So then primates have been around. Yeah, primate. you know? I mean, they were, it was a hugely successful group for, you wow. know, that is crazy. Well, they're Over still hugely years. successful. Yeah, they're right? still hugely successful. Birds are hugely successful. They're everywhere. So dinosaurs are still very successful. So I just, when you say something's a dinosaur, it's actually a compliment, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. It's yeah. not it's some old extinct thing that was unsuccessful. Very, very successful group of organisms. Where do you think they came from? Um, well, so the closest relatives of, of birds are crocodilians. And basically all the dinosaurs are closer to birds than they are to crocodilians. So it's basically you're looking at kind of what's the common ancestor of crocodilians and birds. And there are a bunch of things back in the early Triassic and then you kind of go into the Permian. And they basically, you know, were these kind of big sprawling, kind of like a, a croc that's not aquatic. You know, these land dwelling things, they're more like a giant lizard. It's terrifying. Just in terms of what I'm, what they looked like. Yeah. Um, but some are very small. Some yeah. are bigger. Yeah. Nothing back then reached the size that dinosaurs got, like in the late Jurassic, when you have these gigantic, you know, brachiosaurs. And, oh, really? And brontosaurus. So early on, you know, everything's pretty reasonable size. Um, it's not until you get into the Jurassic where you really start getting really big animals, where, where size starts really increasing. Interesting. I didn't know. That. I th I literally thought that they were all like that big all the time. There's a long, interesting history of dinosaurs, and that's what that's what keeps us going. Yeah. Is, you know, you find you know things that fit into this period there where we don't yeah. know what's happening. Yeah. And a lot of dinosaurs aren't big, so you know, uh, people usually think of these gigantic things like Triceratops is a big animal. Uh, Tyrannosaurus is a huge predator. Duckbill dinosaurs are big, mm -hmm. um, the sauropods are big, but there's a lot of smaller members of these groups and other groups too. So, um, you know, they're not all gigantic. Yeah. And I think, um, at least in the past, a lot of the fossil record that we know of have been, tend to be bigger animals because people haven't really looked for those small things. Yeah, if you want to fill a museum yeah. exhibit, you don't fill it with the- That's animals. true. You know, people want to see the big things. Yeah. So yeah. from our perspective, you know, I don't want to find a giant dinosaur that's going to take me five years to collect. Wow. You know, I want to find something I can collect in, you know, a day or two. Really? So I can collect. Or in one season. Uh, yeah, I can collect, you know, 20 dinosaurs in a, in a, in a field season. Uh, 20 dinosaur, small. actual dinosaurs? Yeah, sure. sure. Yeah, it depends on where you are. I mean, in wow. Mexico, we didn't find that many. Yeah. In, in Western China, we found a lot. So, yeah. Um, but there are other things that uh, made me think of in China, one of the greatest um, collections, greatest uh, fossil sites in general, has been uh, what you call the feathered dinosaur beds, where they found these, these fossil deposits all through northeastern China, so not where we were, um, where if you kind of split these shales, you get these skeletons, and they'll have soft tissues, including uh, feathers. So you get dinosaurs with feathers. 
What? And all of these are, are relatively small things. Um, so there aren't too many big things in, in these deposits. But yeah. that's where a lot of the you know really interesting evolution in the origin of birds was taking place with these smaller things. Um, and so you get these just spectacular skeletons where they have you know beautiful feathers and we can even uh, it's thought that we can figure out the color of the feathers from um, yeah. the, the pigment cells that are yeah. on them. And some of these guys are like you know this big. Yeah. Wow. They're really little, and then there's some bigger ones. But yeah, yeah. Tiny, tiny little dinosaurs out there, but you got to look for them. Right? Sure. Yeah. They're a little harder to find. I was gonna say yeah. Brachiosaurus. <laughs> yeah. But, so uh, you really have to, again, we get back to that search image. You yeah. really have to know what you're looking for and to pay attention to the small stuff as well because it's just as interesting as the big stuff. Yeah. Sure. So our, our, our main collaborator in China is Xu Sheng, who, whom I've known for years and years. Uh, just is He's the main guy studying these. So whenever I go to China, I go to his office, and it's like, oh, what do you got now? You know, it's just... <laughs> Like a, a, you know, like a birthday party. It's like, yeah. Look at this. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Here you go, Jim. Yeah. Yeah. All these new dinosaurs, yeah. you know, and they'll have added as feathers, you know, and wow. it's like just, you know, just amazing. And they found feathers. When when was that? They found, it was like a, it was a new thing because they thought first, yeah. uh, in the late nineties. Yeah. Whoa. They found these kind of really simple feathers on something, and so what happened was. Uh, they realized that there were these really cool animals in these shales, and so everybody in that area started digging them up um, to sell them. And so, and then the Chinese government, because of the restrictions, they basically um, pressured them to sell them to to, to scientific institutions. But yeah. there is a, a kind of black market on these things yeah. as well. Um, but so, you know, the scientists don't have as much time as some, you know, poor guy living there who's learned how to dig and yeah. lives year-round in, in Liaoning. So, um, yeah, so they just dig constantly are digging these things up. Wow, and, that's uh, crazy. That's recent. Just amazing. Late 90s? A lot of them are just spectacular. It's, well, yeah. the late 90s was the first one, and it's been, yeah, basically the last 20 years have just been amazing wow. in terms of, you know, yeah. what, what they've yeah. brought up. But it's allowed us to know so much, learn so much about kind of the origin of birds sure. and kind of um, these different theropod dinosaurs kind of uh, that are closely related to the origin of birds. So we learned so much about it from these Liaoning fossils. And they're beautiful. They're just gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. Totally different than anything you anyone's found. Well, actually, what's interesting is they're similar to things. Hmm. But... You know, you can tell, well, this thing looks a lot like Velociraptor, for example, which is something from Mongolia we've known for a long time. But it's got feathers. Um, wow. And so, and then these other things. So a lot of them were, were known, those groups were known. But the diversity, you know, they just added all these species. Sure. All the soft tissues. Um, and then as well, there are mammals there um, with mm -hmm. hair. Um, there are pterodactyls that, you know, have all you know, soft tissues. And That's so cool. That is so cool. So they had like, did they have, um, when did, I guess, scientists realize that the, that dinosaurs were closer to birds than they are? Cause you would think you see them, they look like just giant lizards and reptiles and stuff like that. Right. Like when did that happen? It's a pretty old hypothesis actually. Right. It goes really? back to Huxley. Huxley in the late 1800s. Wow. And then it kind of fell out of favor. And then with 
you know, the excavation of more specimens, especially Deinonychus, I guess, Osterns Deinonychus. What's that? Uh, in That's the big... 60s, I believe. Yeah. It kind of got, well, let's look at this again. Right. You know, here's, here's some evidence. Maybe Huxley was right. And, you know, here's these new spe theropod specimens. Here are birds. Here's Archaeopteryx. Ah. Look at all the similarities here. Yeah. So it kind of got reinvigorated, and with finding more and more specimens through the 70s and the 80s, it became pretty obvious that, that birds were most closely related, actually descendants of a group of theropod dinosaurs. Yeah. It was actually, so John Ostrom, who was at Yale, um, found this big pile of dinosaurs in Montana, Deinonychus, which is a lot like Velociraptor, and yeah. he studied it and he published on it. And then he happened to be looking at some, uh, well, he was studying pterodactyls, and he was oh, in yeah. Germany and studying pterodactyl fossils, he realized one of them was actually an Archaeopteryx. So then he started looking at Archaeopteryx, this transitional bird, you know, the ancestral bird. And he said, you know, basically, wow, this is like a mini Deinonychus, a That's mini Velociraptor. Yeah. So he published this, you know, phenomenal paper or two in the late late 70s saying, look at all these similarities. Sure. And then people started doing analyses and it was obvious you know, there, yeah. there was by far more evidence for that than for anything else. That is crazy. Yeah, because I'm the common person's not going to be like, oh, that's a bird, or that you know, that's a descendant yeah. from a bird or whatever. Yeah. Right. Wow. The um, the Velociraptor is obviously one of the more popular ones as well. Is it? Is it de as it's depicted in in stuff like that? Is it really kind of like that, like intelligent and has that little dew claw and like you know what i mean like the stuff that like yeah, yeah, yeah. makes well, it look really cool okay it's got uh, the yeah. claw it's definitely got the claw i mean they had it their their brains were relatively larger they were on the they're very close velociraptor is very close to to birds and so there's an wow. enlargement of the brain as you get into birds which yeah. have big brains and so <laughs> they did have that you know pack behavior who the heck knows i know yeah it's like clever girl yeah they, yeah. Pro they probably weren't all that smart yeah know, right like in jurassic park yeah. you know they were probably as smart as my chickens at least and, and that's not very smart that's, not, that's, tell you. that's right <laughs> that's but, you know predators from what i've seen of chickens and lizards if you're a predator you're pretty focused on prey right so that's yeah. that's one you know some of your brain cells are, are are focused on prey so i can see that part of it but they, they certainly weren't as strong as they show in jurassic yeah 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 i know obviously Not that's as smart definitely, as they show in jurassic yeah that's definitely super fiction now that's that makes me think is what you just said jim was like the closer you get to birds the bigger the brain gets so i would think okay a tyrannosaurus rex has a gigantic head he should have a gigantic brain well <clears throat> Not gigantic, no. no. <laughs> so you get have this thing called allometry, where as you grow, some parts of you get relatively bigger and some parts don't grow as fast. <laughs> yeah, brains are one of those things that just don't grow as fast as the rest of the body, and that's true of, of all brains. Mm -hmm. And so <clears throat> when you get these giant things, they're, it's basically called negative allometry, where the brain is just not growing as fast. I mean, if you had a gigantic bird that was the side of t size of t-rex its brain would be relatively you know smaller than on a small bird wow. uh, so yeah so the brain of, of t-rex and, and t-rex is you know kind of close to birds but not nearly as close as velociraptor its brain is not you know significantly developed yeah yeah, than... yeah and I, i've studied uh, triceratops 
extensively in Triceratops brains. And you know how big a Triceratops yeah, it's is. Yeah, huge. But its brain is about the size of this microphone. What? You know, it's, it's not a big brain in there. The animal's big, but the brain isn't necessarily wow. big. See, I would never think that. I would think the complete opposite of, of you know, I, well, that makes sense that you say that now, that the, the bigger they are, the, the harder it is for something like a brain to grow, to match the body. So do you think that, like, the, the how do we even know about their brains, though? Like, how do you, I mean, you don't get brains, obviously, when you fall, do, do for fossils. No, but you have the cavity, right? The brain cavity. And so you can make uh, like a copy of the inside of the brain cavity. What? And when you look inside a brain cavity, you can see where all like the, the nerves come off, the cranial nerves come off, how big they are. You can see where the carotid arteries come up. What? Blood into the brain. So all, because all of that is enclosed by bone, as long as you have the bone, you can figure out what was inside of it. Yeah. Now, you know how big the brain cavity is. You don't know exactly how much of it was actually filled with brain material. Sure. There's other things in there. So that's the maximum size it could be. It could have been even smaller than that. Yeah, there tends Whoa. to be like a big venous sinus on the back of the brains, and it's hard to sometimes tell how much of that is just a, a big vein. Yeah, right. Uh, but it's actually... Um, it's pretty easy to study these now with with CT scans. So a lot yeah. of a lot of paleontology now is done with CT scans for for various reasons. Um, you can see things, you know, the inside of the skull without actually having to dig it out and crack it open. Yeah, it. yeah. And so you can. It's really easy to then just say, well, this is what the inside of the brain case is. That is incredible. I did not know that. That's obviously I didn't know that. I didn't. I didn't even know 200 million years ago. Um, <laughs> do you see with like technology, obviously, are you guys using a lot of like when you do go out on digs and stuff like that, even the last 10, 20 years, do you see that kind of technology helping you or is it still kind of like old school, like chisel? In the field, it's pretty old school. Yeah. I think one of the changes I've heard people use is, is drones to like look yeah. over ah. like an excavation site and get good photos of sites. But otherwise, when you're out excavating, it, it's pretty much like it's always been done. It's with you know picks and shovels and jackhammers and oh my and burlap. Yeah. You know that hasn't changed. What's changed is a lot. What Jim's was saying when you get the fossils back, mm -hmm. right? Uh, it used to be you had to carefully prepare all the rock off of it to see anything, and sometimes there's areas where you just can't see, like into the brain case. Sure. But now you can run your fossil through a CAT scanner. Uh, which is like a three-dimensional x-ray, right? Sure. And put all the data into your computer, and you can digitally prepare the rock off of it and out of the inside of it. Wow. And you can digitally take the skull apart. You can look at the insides of things. You can trace blood vessels through through bone. You can do all sorts of wonderful things. So technology has really helped in the study of the fossils it hasn't helped a lot in actually getting them out of the ground i don't think well not getting them out of the ground but you know you're talking about drones um satellite imaging uh, has yeah. really helped in you know if you're out in the field and you're looking at these rocks you say you know where else can i go to see the same rocks and you can't look over that hill very sure. easily you know so you end up driving everywhere but these satellite images you know, you can say, oh, there's a spot here. There's a little outcrop of the same rock. You go over here, and, you know, these little yeah. outcrops could be, you know, full of fossils. Wow. So that that helped. I mean, in, I remember working in Mongolia. I, I went up to a, a well, there was a, a satellite imaging firm in, in uh, 
Rockville. And uh, so, no, in Wheaton. Anyway, so yeah. I, I, uh, I got these prints. So we had these gigantic prints of satellite images. And we take them out into the Gobi Desert. This is before, you know, you could look at things. There's certainly no, uh, you know, no internet that we could yeah, no. avail ourselves of in the Gobi Desert at that time. No, but... You know, had this gigantic photographic printout of a satellite image saying, oh, wow. I think I see something over here. Yeah, yeah there it is. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. That's but cool. The technologically, what's like really coming along now are uh, the biochemical investigations of finding fossils, finding, you know, these, you know, it's not so much DNA. DNA doesn't preserve that, that well, but there are all these other uh, chemicals uh, that are preserved with fossils that are, they're really the techniques for identifying these are really, um, this is kind of just the beginning of, of a real uh, flourishing of that technology. Yeah. So it like cuts down on the time of having to find things versus like driving over that hill and finding the rock oh, that looks satellite like. Satellite images, yeah. 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 With the, the chemical stuff though, that's just finding all these things that we didn't know. Uh, it's even potentially telling us more about, about, um, physiology and yeah, color yeah. and all these things. So yeah. there's some really interesting things coming out with the chemistry of fossils once it's back in the lab. That's cool. So you said color. Yeah. So you can find out like what a certain dinosaur maybe had looked like, possibly like color wise, for pigments. Yeah. First, with the the feathered dinosaurs, they would look for these little organelles, the the melanosomes, uh, which are uh, preserved pigment or had pigment. They may not preserve it. But the shape of the organelle, the shape of that melanosome would tell you, size and shape would, would tell you kind of which kind of of, uh, of pigment it had. Yeah. Right? So it did, wouldn't tell you everything, but you could kind of tell a, a few things. And so there are reconstructions of these, you know, striped feathers and wow. interesting things. But there are other indications that where they get, um, so there are like these blue fossil eggs and they've been able to tell that this is actually that they actually have the chemical that made it blue and it's the same chemical that's in blue what in living birds and it's things like that i mean that's you know these things are, are really being developed um yeah uh, in, in several different labs and things are really moving along that's yeah, right I, you know i never thought we'd ever be able to find out what the color, color of something right that's yeah five million years old but Turns out we might be able to. So that is really cool. Exciting, yeah. Because it's all a guessing game, right? But most people, when you see an illustration, you see it on any kind of picture. It's all kind yeah, of it's guessing. It's always just made up, right? Yeah. But now maybe we don't have to make it up anymore. Wow, I didn't even know that. I didn't even yeah. know it was made up like that. I thought they legit knew like what color the T Rex was. No. <laughs> You're like no, <laughs> God damn it, Corey. Uh, oh man, that's think, so cool. Know, if you. You know, there are a lot of artists doing reconstructions of, of fossils. And if you do something, it's got to be some color. And sure. Yeah, right. Different. So they basically would guess. Wow. Or, or they'd look at, you know, coloring in lizards yeah. or uh, or something like that and, and put some kind of a pattern on it. But it was all just, yeah. you know, guesswork. Yeah. Right? And yeah, and everyone knew it, right? We, we don't know what color they were, but maybe now we will know what color. That would be cool. Yeah. yeah. That would be cool. What's... um. I know you guys don't know, probably, I don't know if you do or not, but like sharks and stuff, are they prehistoric? Are well, they... prehistoric. Yeah, I mean, sharks. Oh, yeah, they go back. They, they go, go back way back. Way, yeah. way back into the Paleozoic. Yeah. But, you know, 
it's the sort of thing where as you go back, things are going to look different than they are. Today. Sure. Modern sharks go back, I think, into yeah, I the, the, the Triassic or Jurassic. Yeah, yeah I saw like a, um, uh, a video of this, this shark. It's like 300 years old or, so, or no, 3,000. I don't know. It's like old as hell. It's like the oldest living like vertebrae. Are they vertebrae? Or they're, they're vertebrates. Yeah. They're, yeah. It's like the first group that branched off of um, of vertebrates that have jaws. Whoa. Yeah. So the first jawed vertebrates that have branched off. Of That's yeah, crazy. Yeah, the earliest earliest vertebrates didn't have jaws. So the earliest animals without backbones yeah. didn't have jaws. Like lampreys and hagfish. Yeah. And they have jaws. No yeah. jaws. Yeah. yeah. They had mouths, right? Yeah, but they just had no. no there's no jaw in there. Yeah. Whoa. Just soft tissue. That's crazy. Did, like, <laughs> yeah, no, that's interesting. Sorry, I was just like curious because I saw this I'll article the other day. About that in a couple of weeks. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Um, as far as like, um, I know we don't know like where certain like herds or like kind of kind of dinosaurs were. I don't know how like the planet looked back. 200 million years ago with like all the continents were they together with it was it easy to to migrate and go around and stuff like that like i don't know yeah oh, that that's actually that's a really a interesting question because at the beginning of the age of dinosaurs like in the, the end of the triassic all the continents are together then as we move to 65 million years ago they're all pulling apart ah. so by the time you get to the end of age of dinosaurs we have you know the continents that we see today so all this evolution of dinosaurs and everything else, not just dinosaurs, is kind of playing out on this division of the continents. Mm. So early on, it was easy to move everywhere, not so easy to move everywhere uh, late in time or late in the age of dinosaurs. So by the time we get to 65 million years ago, everything is separate. Wow. So. Um, and then the, um, so as far as how it looked, then so there weren't any flowering plants until the cretaceous so back in the jurassic and triassic it was all um basically pine trees and yeah and uh, cycads and ferns lots of ferns um and um these things uh the monkey puzzle trees that are wow. another kind of gymnosperm uh, that are alive today their their relatives are back there so it was a different landscape very yeah. But but climate-wise, it was really warm throughout this whole time. It was nice and warm. There's no ice at the North or South Pole or anywhere. So it's very equable climate. That's why yeah. we have dinosaurs and, and palm trees like in the Arctic Circle, because it's just really warm. Um, like right now, the, the planet's warming, but we're still really cold relative to what it's been in the past. Yeah. So um, it was really warm. It was really nice. It was a great time to uh, be a dinosaur. Be a dinosaur. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is is the um is that is it still a theory of like how they became extinct or is it like a fact, like with but the meteor that, and like yeah. <laughs> it's, I'd say there's no doubt that there was a meteorite impact right at the time the dinosaurs went extinct. Maybe more so. than one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they just found one twelve that uh, dated like I think like under like a sheet of ice in Antarctica that dated back or a crater that dated back only like twelve to eleven or twelve million years ago. Yeah. Yeah. There's it's interesting because when this you know the dinosaur extinction story was first developed back in the early eighties, um, you know people hadn't paid that much attention to you know where were the craters on Earth. 
Right. Um, and right. then they started looking, and you know, there are some that were known. I'm a meteor crater in Arizona, everybody knows. But once you start looking, you know, for these subsurface things, because you can't actually see them on the surface, then they started finding all these things. Um, and yeah, and uh, that was an interesting time. Yeah. Um, People yeah. then tried to say, oh, well, does this meteorite impact correlate with this extinction? Sure. Everyone. And it turns out that it, there weren't too many of those. Um, that actually other extinctions seem to correlate better with um, a lot of volcanism, a lot of volcanic activity. Uh. And so the kind of alternate idea for the extinction of the dinosaurs is that it was volcanic activity, throwing up gases, you know, kind of creating a... Um, um, greenhouse right, rapid uh, warming rapid warming sure. and so there are all these volcanics in that were going on in India and so that the two I mean the alternative has been you know that that's what caused it and and that the meteorite was just kind of icing on the cake but the timing of that doesn't seem to to work out as well interesting so most of most of the volcanism was actually after the meteorite so wow anyway yeah that's interesting yeah that's cool. Um, what was I going to ask you? Um, damn. Yeah. Must have been a good question. It was a great question. Um, holy crap. No, it was not extinction. Oh, my gosh. It is gone. It'll come to you as soon as this yeah, is over. Yeah, as soon as over. As soon as I hit end, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come back to me. It was about the, um, it was about the extinction. That, that theory was in the 80s, you said? Yeah, so I was actually at Berkeley when it came out, um, you know, the Alvarez's. Uh, so it was basically Walter Alvarez was wow. a geologist and his father was a nuclear physicist. And so, you know, he found all this iridium, Walter did at the, the, the extinction level in Italy. And then he said, hey, dad, what's going on? Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, yeah help me. So they had this, you know, basically all this cosmic dust. Why, why was all this cosmic dust there at the boundary? Because there's always this, this you always get this iridium, but in very small amounts. Because yeah. it's always kind of raining down on Earth, and it gets it gets kind of mixed in with the sediments. So he was actually out there looking at the iridium as a way to tell how fast the sediment was piling up. So he gets up to the boundary at the very end of the Cretaceous, and all of a sudden there's a huge amount of iridium. And then it goes back to just the little bits of iridium. So it's like, why is there this huge spike in iridium right at this point, right? Mm -hmm. So how, how do you get that much iridium, right? And the way they came up with is there had to have been a huge meteor impact. Yeah. bringing all that iridium in and spreading it out in the atmosphere yeah, more at iridium. one point in time there's more iridium in meteorites than there is on planet yeah Earth. Yeah, yeah no that's interesting that's a oh, man i don't even yeah. know how you would to think of that have you guys heard of lidar before yes sure is that something that can be used for pan paleontology you know, when i was working in in western china um a while ago, uh, National Geographic was funding me, and, and they really liked LIDAR because it's really picturesque. Sure. And so um, they said, oh, Jim, would, you know, why don't you use LIDAR there? And I looked into it, and it was like, well, you know, it doesn't really get us what we want. Um, you know, basically, it produces this spectacular image of, you know, very fine resolution of the, uh, a big area that you're working in. Yeah. Um, and so... You know that's nice but we already knew kind of what we needed to know about those uh -huh. um, and it's a lot of trouble it used to be a lot of trouble anyways you had to set up all these stands around there with the cameras and 
Um, I think it's easier now. It's yeah, it's definitely easier now. They're finding they're using it in Amazon right now uh-huh. for and they're literally finding like cities yeah. in the Amazon from that were like extinct or whatever. And then they're finding out that like um, the soil like there's no way that like plants or, or something like that could have been made in the soil because there's some sort of chemical in it. So they're saying it is like man-made, like the Amazon's basically man-made. Um, yeah. yeah. But anyway, I would think LIDAR would be. Well, with LIDAR, so the thing is, you know, all the fossils we're looking at are under the surface. What the LIDAR is showing you the surface. Yes. And so yeah. that's the limitation. You know, all we were going to use it for is the geology. Gotcha. Um, that makes but, sense. Yeah. Actually, I got into a discussion when I was talking to these satellite imaging folks and one of the guys was like, oh, this should be able to tell you where the, where the dinosaurs are. Yeah. The, like, guy, <laughs> the guy there who knew more about it said, no. Yeah. That's me. That's cool, man. Yeah. Would well, you guys got anything else you want to talk about or any, any, uh, anything that's like, oh man, wait a minute. I didn't talk about that. Um, no. Um, I could talk for hours. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i think we covered a lot of really cool stuff it's been over an hour so that's good um that's awesome well thank you so much for you know wanting to have this conversation with me and let me pick your brain about dinosaurs i learned a ton that i didn't know so if anything i learned something <laughs> so thank you again i appreciate you guys and uh you guys have a good day that's another episode for the e-force podcast thanks for inviting us absolutely